What is freedom exactly? Such a powerful word with so many meanings. Let freedom ring, we sing. We'll sing in just over a week at Independence Day. This country has always aspired to be a land particularly dedicated to freedom. But it's in practice that freedom gets complicated. They say, my freedom to swing my fist ends where your nose begins. And it's true that freedoms often come into conflict with one another. We might agree on some basic principles. Some of them are written into the Bill of Rights in this country. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom to assemble. But even those freedoms aren't absolute. There are times when a person's religion endorses hatred or violence. There are times when speech becomes harassment or libel. There are times when an assembly becomes a riot. And so we have to decide what freedoms take precedence over which others. Which are more important? What freedoms do we have in mind when we talk about freedom? Are we hoping for the freedom to send our children to school where we wish? For the freedom to marry the person we choose? For the freedom to carry a weapon? For freedom from burdensome taxes? For freedom from potholes? for freedom from hunger? There are many ways of thinking about freedom. Sometimes our freedoms change. One week ago, the settled law of this country held that states had the authority to regulate a citizen's freedom to carry a concealed weapon but that a citizen's right to make her own decision about whether to carry her pregnancy to term was absolute. Within the last four days, the United States Supreme Court has reversed both of those. So that today, suddenly, in the wink of an eye, the law of this land is that the freedom to carry a gun is essential enough that a state can hardly regulate it while the freedom to make an individual choice about abortion can be given by a state legislature or taken away. Now personally, I am grieving and angry about both these decisions, and especially the second one. Probably some of you this morning, probably many of you are too, Others may be pleased about one or the other. Today, if you are someone who in your own conscience believes that the life of a fetus is truly morally equivalent to the life of a born human being, and that there are no circumstances under which an abortion is justified, then I think that your call today is to be compassionate and magnanimous in a moment of victory. 
and also to get to work, to help protect born children, to fight child poverty, and to make sure that parents have the societal support that they need so that the massive and powerful movement that you have built over decades can get to work building a genuine culture of life. And on the other hand, if you're someone like me, and like the majority of the Episcopal Church, which has been on record for decades that abortion should be legal, if you're someone who believes that a fetus is a potential human life, but not an existing one, that there are times when abortions are justifiable or even necessary, and that whatever each of us may think that the person best positioned to make that tender and profound decision is the one who is carrying that potential life in their own body rather than the government, that I think our call today is to lament and to be angry and then to get to work, smart and strategic and for the long term, for a work that may take years and decades, even as it has taken those years and decades on the other side, and also to hang on to hope in the midst of a bleak hour. Today we heard a piece of the letter to the Galatians. And Galatians, as it happens, is the angriest letter in the entire Bible. Paul writes it hot. There's another place in the letter, not the passage we read today, where he writes, you stupid Galatians, who has duped you? And these Galatians he's writing to, whom he loves and is angry with, these Galatians are Gentiles. They're members of a church that Paul planted as a traveling missionary. But since Paul has been away elsewhere, other traveling Christian teachers have come in to visit the Galatians. And they've been teaching the Galatians that the faith Paul taught them isn't enough. That in order to be saved, they have to become Jewish first. They have to undergo circumcision. They have to begin keeping the commandments of Torah, like eating kosher food and keeping the Sabbath. And Paul is livid. At one point, also not a part we read today, he writes that if these teachers are so excited about getting the Galatians circumcised that he wishes the teachers would just go the whole way and castrate themselves. This is in the Bible. This is a matter of principle for Paul. But it's not that he thinks circumcision is bad or the law is bad. Far from it because Paul is Jewish. Paul is circumcised and as far as we know, Paul himself continues to follow the law. To the best of our knowledge, Paul continued to keep the Torah for the rest of his life, even as he considered himself the apostle to the Gentiles and is passionately devoted to the idea that what applies to him as a Jew doesn't have to apply to the Gentiles as Gentiles. That they have equal standing in Christ. For Gentiles to live as Gentiles in Christ, for Jews to live as Jews in Christ, and for them to be one in the bond of baptism. 
We heard another scripture passage today from Luke's gospel about Jesus setting his face toward Jerusalem. The destination where he'll face the cross. This is a pivotal turning point in the gospel of Luke. The travelogue chapters, the journey to Jerusalem, the portion of the book that Jesus spends on the road with his disciples teaching and preparing takes up about half of the book. And so this long, slow pilgrimage to death and resurrection begins here. And to get to Jerusalem, the most direct route is through Samaria, a land the Jewish people often preferred to take the long way around. Jews and Samaritans were sibling peoples. Both traced their ancestry to Moses and the ancient Israelites. Both read the Torah as sacred scripture, but with different traditions and different temples in different places and a deep mistrust and resentment towards each other in the way two groups of people so often do when they have a shared history, profound commonalities, and some clear differences. So predictably, in one village, Jesus and his disciples don't get a warm welcome. And James and John ask Jesus for permission to call down fire from heaven to rid the world of these inhospitable Samaritans. But Jesus refuses. It says he rebukes them. And on they go to another village. I don't think we can draw direct conclusions from our scripture readings today that will settle for us once and for all exactly how Christians are supposed to think about abortion or exactly how we are supposed to respond to the end of Roe v. Wade because that's not how scripture works. Scripture is the story of salvation. It's the record in human history of the people of God's saving encounters with the living God. It's not a handbook for every single issue and situation that we will face in our own place and time. So all I find I can do today is look at these readings and pull out a few things that might be helpful for us. One is that sometimes it's okay to be angry. And it's okay to fight with all the passion you've got for a cause. Some of the people that Paul was angry at and on the other side of major divisive issues from were people like Peter and James who ended up with him with books in their own names in scripture. Paul even has to share a feast day with Peter. In icons, we usually see Paul and Peter embracing. But in their lifetimes, there are just as many times and they were deeply at odds with each other. God was able to take that conflict and work through it under the guidance of the Spirit. And I take from that that God doesn't necessarily expect us always to be perfectly right so much as to see what truth God gives us to see and to fight with what we've got for it. 
And I see Paul fighting for the Galatians' freedom, which is a freedom not to act the way that his way of life calls for, but a freedom to act the way that is appropriate for them in theirs. And I see a land of Jews and Samaritans, two peoples joined in the same land by a common heritage and common traditions and common worldviews and some very serious differences. And the resentment coming not only from the differences but from the similarities. And it's hard not to think of a country today that feels so increasingly divided between two blocks joined by heritage and tradition and worldview and several very serious differences. And I look at James and John. And I look at them in their anger, becoming ready to solve the problem once and for all by just ridding the world of their opponents. Through divine, God-sanctioned, holy fire, and I look at Jesus, who nonetheless calls them to a different way. Let us pray for this country, for everyone who is reeling, who is hurting, who is afraid, and for those also who are rejoicing. Let us pray for our leaders. Let us pray for ourselves as the church of Jesus Christ, that we might be leaven and salt in this hurting and broken world, that we might live by the Spirit and be guided by the Spirit and find our way into the true freedom of the children of God.